there's a lot of odds that are stacked against people um, and a lot of people who may not know that they're invited to the table. And that's unacceptable for me. I think technology should be the greatest tool to democratize opportunity. And we're seeing quite the opposite. It's becoming more and more siloed. And honestly, we cannot be building a new future if it's just the same and then try to retrofit people into that future. Um, Not on my watch. If you don't allow and make space for people to think that they have the ability and the potential to be something. Um, How would we ever, ever move forward, especially now? Hey, my name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast, an exploration of how society interacts with technology and you. In these COVID-19 quarantine days, we have launched a concept called A Pod A Day, where we aim to release a pod a day, a podcast a day. And that's work days, so that's five podcasts a week. We'll be talking to different people, reflecting on certain questions or concepts, and trying to stay in touch with you. So for that, we would like to get more of your questions in to the podcast. Visit learnability.online and you'll simply find where you can contribute with your questions or thoughts. Please do. Now, on to the episode. So we are testing. And we're seeing if there's an echo. Yeah, it actually disappeared now. Yeah, same for me. Should we just go? Let's go. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Mala. Uh, you were asking me how I'm doing. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm finding myself grateful, confused, um, yeah. terrified. Uh, it's just a constant whirlwind of emotions. But if I'm honest, I'm doing good. That's great to hear. I guess you're working a lot. Um, you, you've been working a lot proactively to be in as good of a position as possible in these times. Yeah, I think um, we kind of we kind of operate in the space where there's a lot of volatility and a lot of complexity all the time. Um, this is just a new set of variables, but it's still the same problem. Just trying to wrap my head around the fact that when you look at it, the only sort of thing that's been removed from society is the ability to be in the same place together. And we've weaved our entire existence, our entire economy around the ability to be human with one another. And it's always been such a, I guess, trivial thing in people's minds, you know. Um, so much was said about social networks and all the digital spaces. Those are still working fine. But yet the world feels like it's on fire just because you and I can't be in the same room. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yes, it, it's, it's super crazy because... We realize that we can have so many more meetings if that's what we want to do yeah. uh, digitally in, in this case. And we, we can still do as much, but yeah. it doesn't feel in the same way, maybe. No. And and things that we hadn't moved, uh, you know, digitally. And even though there's been tools and talks about it, like classrooms and 
oh, yeah. healthcare. And there just there are these places where we must be face to face, and there's just no replacement for it. And um, it's kind of an eye opener of how much of what had been developed thus far was always just a little bit of a complement to being able to be physically together. Um, it, it was more like a flavoring rather than a substitute at this point, which is what it's kind of showing. Oh yeah, that's so true. And I've been speaking to different uh, ed tech, educational technology founders, mm-hmm. uh, working with different startups. And it's it's a funny thing, like everyone within ed tech or many people <laughs> within ed tech talk about whatever they're building being a complement to education and just mm-hmm. like a tool within education. But mm-hmm. now education needs to go totally uh, virtual. Yeah. And we're seeing that it might actually work. Of course, there's still some components that needs to be put in place, but it it seems to be working quite all right. And we're starting to question school is free in Sweden, but I read an article where people are realizing like, whoa, we're paying a lot for college or Mm -hmm. whatever. And now that it's going uh, digital, we're seeing that, okay, if they put the same content that we were willing to pay a lot of money for, if they put it online, mm-hmm. all of a sudden this content is not as valuable as what's already free and available out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting with all these realizations that come with this large scale experiment we're currently in. I think uh, this is very spot on for, you know, what you're doing, but I think you can learn anywhere. You can learn through any medium, any place, any time. And I think that universities, um, I'm a big fan of, of getting college degrees, I you know, and all of that. But at the same time, I don't equate them. You can't put learning on the same pedestal as a university. They're not the same thing. Um, and I think somewhere along the line, we forgot that and we just sort of, said you couldn't swap the two out. What you get by going to any high school, university, whatever, um, are the personal contacts, the actual friendships and learning from other people, people who ask the different question about the same thing that you're studying or you learn about their life and their perspectives. And, you know, that's harder. But in terms of educating yourself, empowering yourself, learning skills, testing, failing and growing, I really think it's time for digital platforms to shine. And they're more than capable of doing that piece of of learning for sure. I, of course, really appreciate you saying that. And it's, it's, (laughs) it's, I totally agree. And uh, I just want to say, so some people listening to this podcast might uh, recognize your voice and your clear insights. You've been <laughs> on this podcast uh, previously when we did the Gather series. That's right. That was good times. It was great times. It was great meeting you there and we've stayed in touch and you've really been a good person to know. Thank you. But for the people who uh, haven't heard you in that episode or who don't know you yet, would you mind giving like a brief introduction of yourself and what you do? And then I'll, I'm very excited to hear how your days have been. Uh, Absolutely. At Absolutely. So um, I'm heading the hub for Ericsson One covering Europe, Middle East, Africa um, and also Russia. And I'm one of three hubs. Uh, We're trying to basically look at how we can find, uh, scale and launch new businesses for Ericsson. So we want the company to evolve and become future proof. But we know that 
the business that we're trying to get in, it it's not it's not just something that where competition is a problem. We're talking about a fundamental shift in society, in technology. We're talking about a complete new set of rules that are still being invented in terms of who's the customer um, as the world becomes more and more connected, as more and more devices become connected. Um, Ericsson was in the business of selling everything around connecting phones, you know, and you go and buy a SIM card and put it in your phone. Well, now a car has a SIM card, a drone has a SIM card, your fridge has a SIM card, and these things are talking to each other. But we're here to try and make sense of the dialogue and to understand what can we do to turn these technologies, these needs in society into the new business, the new platforms, the new solutions that enable a more sustainable and intelligent way of life. And so, like I said, we're in the very process of weaving the tapestry of this future society. So we scout all sorts of early stage ideas, and then we work as a team to coach them, giving them business modeling, go to market support, brand, how do you build, how do you scale, um, taking an idea from maybe a napkin sketch into your first prototype, helping you meet your first customer, um, and then all the way into when you're ready, we put the whole big machinery of Ericsson around it to really turn it into a full-blown product. Um, so like a startup incubator, but for Ericsson. For Ericsson. Mm-hmm. And I find it really interesting. I've been super excited since the first time I heard of Ericsson One. And you can please correct me if I'm wrong. As as I see it, like Ericsson has always been standing on, on both feet. So being mm-hmm. a large player in the infrastructure side, like everything behind the technology we use. But then you mentioned uh, Ericsson used to do phones once in a day. So more consumer facing and, and daily use products. Yeah. And now Ericsson is also in the infrastructure side, uh, a big player in the 5G rollout mm-hmm. uh, of the 5G network. That's right. But then the consumer facing side is now different types of innovations that you're working on through Ericsson One, the hub you're running. Right. And we have a mix of B2B. Um, some B2B to C. Um, yeah. And we might dare to go back down the path of B2C. But, you know, the way we get there really, really makes us believe that we own that space if we do arrive. And I saw on social media, you recently had a Dragon's Den where different, uh, I'm guessing, parts of Ericsson from all around the world was pitching to you. Yeah, it was fantastic. I really needed it. That was sort of like having a rock in the middle of a hurricane that you can hold yeah. on to. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. uh, we spent about 10 hours, um, all three hubs. Um, and these are our babies. These are, you know, pitches that we've been working on from early stage grooming them. Um, and we had about, ooh, let's say 40 people online. Everybody was virtual, so it was great. But we had everyone in various parts of Ericsson listening and asking and, and going through these pitches and, you know, seeing if they could take the next step within Ericsson One, really becoming an MVP. Um, are these are these ideas ready to be put in front of customers? Are they ready to aggressively scale? So the Dragon's Den event is basically um, an opportunity for a lot of the early stage projects to then take the next step to becoming the MVP. And they're evaluated pretty aggressively from 
hey, does someone love your idea and product to are they willing to pay for it? And so we had uh, eight pitches. We had five of them that made it. Um, All right. Could you tell us more about them, maybe? Yeah, uh, like high level. I'm sorry if this sounds a little bit cryptic, but uh, we had some that were actually trying to solve the problem of um, connectivity that made it um, that makes it hard for small or medium enterprises, for example. You know, connectivity seems to be smart manufacturing something only for big companies, yeah. but we have thousands, if not millions, of small and medium-sized enterprises who aren't almost allowed or given permission to modernize. Um, and so this innovator had found a way to make it almost like plug and play uh, oh, for yeah. you to get smart. So that's a, a phenomenal shift. Um, and imagine if if a tiny two, three, four, maybe even 40 person manufacturing company could suddenly be smart um, and connected and efficient without having to, you know, replace people with robots and so forth. So it's a completely different dialogue shift. And then we had um, a pitch from our hub, which is trying to say, listen, um, you know, you can fool Google Maps if you put a bunch of mobile phones into a shopping cart and just walk over a bridge a couple of times. It thinks they're all cars, you know, so it'll show you traffic. But um, the other problem is, again, also like these manufacturers, we're thinking of smart cities as something that you build from scratch. But what about all of these other cities? What about them becoming smart? And can we use existing infrastructure like the radio base stations? Can they help cities track traffic if you have an interference in the signal? Um, radio waves are quite sensitive. So if you put something in front of it, you know, and it's crazy. And I love this entrepreneur because... He actually tested this at a bar. <laughs> he just sort of at measured. Yeah. He was standing outside and measuring if people were coming and going in cars and vehicles and if that disrupted the, the base station signals. And it did. Yeah. And you could almost tell if it was a car or a bike. Um, so he's a data scientist and he's looking at this from a machine learning and AI perspective. And if, you know, we don't know if this is going to work, but it's worth a shot. And then again, that means that any city, any scale, if you have a single base station there, um, you could potentially become a smart city from a mobility perspective. So that's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. And uh, I'm getting a, a view of most of the entrepreneurs that apply to this have a really like heavy technical background or they can they can see the, the technical aspect of it. And then through <laughs> this process, they start finding how it's applicable in society. Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. And there's two parts to this. So one is I there's clearly a role for us to help coach and guide um, very technology focused innovators. And I think that's very common also in the deep tech space to start from a technology first and then yeah. hope that it, this great solution has a problem. <laughs> but the other part is, and I really try to push for this. Anytime I have a dialogue with a, someone in the company who isn't an engineer, I always ask them, how would you define an entrepreneur or an innovator? And they always give me all these words that have nothing to do with who they are. Uh, and I always ask them, why, why not you? And it's like a new thought. And I think while I do currently have a lot of people who are technology focused, I think somehow, somewhere, we started excluding people from who was allowed to bring ideas and who was allowed to build startups and who was allowed to consider deep tech something for them. 
um, kind of looping back to learning. You know, if I haven't studied engineering at so-and-so college, I'm not allowed to bring an idea to Ericsson one. And that's fundamentally wrong. And I yeah. reject that with every fiber in my, in my being. Because we're probably missing out on a lot of great ideas. Absolutely. Like as a society. Absolutely. If you are walking in a city and encountering a problem about, you know, you, you can't get to work fast enough, that doesn't mean that you don't know how to solve that problem. You might need someone's help to build the actual thing. You yes, know? but so does also the technical founder. Exactly. Uh, who in other parts. Exactly. So I'm obsessed with trying to center people on, especially early stage ideas. Are you sharp about the problem that you're solving? One, is it a real problem? Two, is that probably, I mean, when I say real, I mean, I think it's very important. That's not a real problem. How have you actually gone out and validated and understood that there's a real need or there's a real pain point here? If so, who did you talk to? And then don't come home and say, yes, I talked to someone and they told me that this is a super important pain point. How does that pain point stack up to their other pain points? You know, mm. I mean, and, and this is where we completely miss the conversation. Often, you, often when you're very technology focused, people come to me and say, I, you know, I know what you're going to ask. Yes, I've gone invalidated. And here's three opinions from four different people saying this would solve this problem. And I say, great. Is that the problem that they're willing to pay for? Is that what's really mm. making them concerned? We didn't ask that. <laughs> So graduating from solving a problem that no one has to solving a problem that no one cares about is not really a graduation, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point. (laughs) You're speaking here about the different pain points. and, And last time we met, you were kind enough to share a metric with me. So I thought we could try on this podcast to just clarify and and in doing that, I think we might be giving people or the listeners some tools. So let's try to make this where you can grasp it in audio format and without sure. having to be there the first time. Absolutely. So I've been working on a startup within EdTech and uh, and when when you showed me this, I thought, oh, great, I could use this to sort of illustrate the different features and how they will be developed and how they will be uh, perceived by the the users. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, this is a great tool to sort of illustrate an understanding of how important these different features are within the service. Mm-hmm. But while doing it, I realized that I might have taken this concept and rearranged it for what I needed in the moment. So I'd like <laughs> if you could first explain the thought with the with the metric yeah, and then where I might have gone wrong. Okay, that sounds good. I don't think you've gone wrong. I like that you tweaked it through what you needed it to do. But the basic thinking around this is, okay, so let's think of this as a mental tool for you to be able to know how to design your offering, your product or your solution to have the best fit with your customer. And this shouldn't be a heavy exercise. You can even use it just as a mental framework. But on the x-axis, I want you to think of all of the pain points that your potential customer has. And I want you to rank them in order of lowest to highest priority. Then I want you to think of on the other axis, 
what does your customer think of your ability to solve those problems? Um, in an ideal world, you're going to be solving their most important pain point better than anyone else out there. Um, their second most important pain point, well, you should be really good at solving that one too, but you don't need to be as good or invest as much energy in solving that problem as you are on their most important one. And so you start to sort of down prioritize as you go. During this sort of self-assessment, if you see yourself either overperforming on the lower priority issues, that's a great indicator for you to ramp down those activities, you know. On the other hand, if you see yourself underperforming on the really important pain points, well, you have a couple of choices. Start investing and building capabilities to become the absolute perceived best there. Two, ask yourself, are you really looking at the right customer? I mean, is there someone else out there who, you know, really needs what you're solving the best um, and pivot your, your sort of business and offering around to that. So it's a great sort of tool to see if you have the right customers, see if you're meeting the needs of those who you are targeting, because the willingness to pay will basically go from your ability to solve their most important pain points. And you should price that highest and sort of give away the stuff that is really lower down on the priority list. So that's how I think of this tool. Which probably other companies are doing if it's that low or there, there's other solutions out there. Yes. Yeah. This was very good. I I totally get where I tweaked it. <laughs> um, and what you're supposed to do, or um, as I take it, and what's probably the smart thing to do is actually think of the pain points. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's like being too far into the process. I switched the pain points with the solutions. Exactly. So I did it with the features rather exactly. than the neutral uh, pain points. Exactly. So I will redo it with a yeah. pain point and I will, um, I will try to share it actually. So since I've seen it, I know what you're talking about with the different axes, mm. but some listeners might not have visualized this. Mm -hmm. So I will redo mine and I'll actually share it. I would love to see that. Um, because what I'm seeing here and I see this a lot too, is when we start talking about what is the value proposition um, I often get answers that are basically features. And yes. so I'm not surprised because what we are talking about now is our ability to solve certain pain points with the best um, and above market perception. That's basically creating a value proposition, right? And the how you solve it might be features. It might be your user experience. It might be your go-to-market. You know, there's so many ways to have that. But at the yeah. core of it is knowing what problem you're solving and then you might end up having to show some discipline on realizing that four of your features are solving the same problem. Yes. And also like the features can change, but the pain points are probably the same. Exactly. If you found the real problem. Exactly. And it gives you so much room to breathe saying, okay, I was really married to this technology and it's mm. been breaking the bank, but really all I need to do is solve that pain point. And I can do it with so many other tools. Um, and eventually, I, it, maybe I'm really a fan of a certain technology and I want to bring it to that level. But really, I need to start with this consumer here and meet yeah. them where they stand. So it's a really great tool. 
thank you so much for sharing uh, some of the insights. And we, we got into it a little bit earlier. You, you were speaking about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship being more or less for anyone, would you say? I, I like to distinguish that I think it's for anyone, but it's not for everyone. For everyone, exactly. <laughs> and that's, I know speaking to you, that's a, a big passion of yours, inclusion and uh, giving the tools to everyone who's looking for it. I really believe in that. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at me um, on paper, I'm not supposed to be an entrepreneur. You know, mm. I'm trained in biomedical sciences. Okay, wrong field. What can you do about tech? Um, you know, I don't usually fit the demographic that, you know, I, I was born in India, raised there. I was recently invited to talk to a, about a seminar about how to support women in developing countries. And I'm like, well, I'm a woman in developing countries. I didn't, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, so there's a lot of odds that are stacked against people. Um, and a lot of people who may not know that they're invited to the table and that's unacceptable for me. I think technology should be the greatest, uh, tool to democratize opportunity. And we're seeing quite the opposite. It's becoming more and more siloed. And honestly, we cannot be building a new future if it's just the same and then try to retrofit people oh, yes. into that future. Um, not on my watch. So whatever little I can do to push the needle, to help people understand uh, and support them, the first step is for them to accept that they belong in that space, that they have a seat at that table. And then two, when they arrive, to give them everything that they need to have the best opportunity. I can never guarantee an outcome, but I know that we can try. I, I really like that focus on equality sort of, of opportunity. Of outcome is impossible, but just going into it. Okay. Absolutely. You want to pursue this and you're able to do it regardless of uh, whatever factors you might, m might hinder people today. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have this, and I don't know if this is relevant for your podcast, but I found this one of the most inspiring examples. So um, they had all these academic people studying, you know, the statues that ancient Greeks had. And there's these elaborate hairstyles on these women in these statues. And there's been, I don't know how many numbers of papers and theses written on how they think that was achieved. Um, and it was actually solved by an hairdresser. <laughs> okay. she, she tried to replicate it and she tried to follow the instructions that were in one of these, you know, scientific articles. And she goes, that's not how you do hair. Um, <laughs> so she sort of scratched it and then she tried to do it from her perspective, knowing hair, not knowing anything about Greek culture or anything mm -hmm. about um, the statues. And, you know, she probably couldn't name them or tell you, but she knew hair. So she tried it on clients after clients. And now she's sort of heralded as the expert uh, in this field. And she's talking wow. to these academics. So again, I'm not, I'm just saying, if you don't allow and make space for people to think that they have the ability and the potential to be something, um, how would we ever, ever move forward, especially now? That's a very good example. And it's super relevant for the Learnability podcast. 
I would say. <laughs> Might be Romans. I'm sorry if I misremember. I'm just going to throw that in there. <laughs> I'll look it up and, and see more about that. I'll actually use that as an example. Mm. And also seeing some interesting examples of uh, like, I think this time of uh, quarantine and yeah. staying at home will be very interesting to see what people do and actually decide to do mm-hmm. when they're left to themselves. Yeah. yeah. You think we'll see a lot of entrepreneurship and innovation. And I know it's, it's, it's a really hard time. Like the solo entrepreneurs and freelancers are yeah. having this time right now. Uh, I'm not blind to that. But at the same time, we have seen historically a lot of successful companies being started out of uh, hardship. Mm, Absolutely. I think the first thing is just to let people be. Um, It's so hard. It's not just that we're at home and it's not just that we're all, you know, trying to shift. It is trying to wrap our heads around something that seems so much bigger and so much scarier than anything else that we've been through. But once that dust settles down in our very, very core, we are, we are a product of relentless adventures, you know, um, step by step, millions of years of someone pushing the boundaries, someone deciding that they weren't going to stay where they were put, uh, to where we are. And that's just who we are fundamentally to our core. So as soon as things settle and we can wrap our heads around it and our emotions have have settled to the place where we have the bandwidth, I would not be surprised if this results in an evolutionary leap in mm. terms of not just more of what we saw, fundamentally different innovations, fundamentally different entrepreneurs, but also who, who becomes an entrepreneur because right now there's a leveling happening out there. It's all equal. Yeah. And with that, we might have a power shift that is here to stick. I want to believe that. I think there is absolutely a seismic shift happening, but whether it sticks uh, Mm -hmm. is something, you know, that has to be nurtured. You have to, you have to let it take root and you have to protect the, the changes that are happening. Um, and I think that remains to be seen. But I, for one, am, am a huge advocate for things growing and adapting. I think so far we were feeling sort of that growing pains, you know, where we just didn't fit anymore. Our ambitions, our conversations sort of didn't fit the structures that were imposed on us. And so let's see where we grow to. That's a really great way of seeing it and great insights uh, throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. I want to sort of wrap it up. Uh, um, I know you have uh, your whole family life to take care of. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, staying on the positive note and looking forward, what are you excited about um, or is excited to learn within the near future? So I, that's so many things. I think it's fascinating right now to um, just sort of soak up everything that I possibly can. Um, when we last met, I said that I wanted to learn uh, about investing. And I actually, because of our conversation, ended up taking that leap. So I wonder what this will unlock now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so holding myself accountable here. Um, I, I think I need to create an Excel file with everyone's <laughs> sort of <laughs> ambitions so I can follow up properly. <laughs> no, but there is a power to articulating an intent, isn't there? Yes. 
it's just puts you into that corner where you can't just make it up and say, I want to know how to knit. Um, and it, the truth is that there's, there's so much that I've always been hungry for. There is, um, I would love to actually learn to code and play around and use tools like AR kit to make, you know, AR filters. Um, it's as simple as, you know, my son is delighted by the fact that now you can Google a tiger and my phone can show him a tiger in our living room. Thanks to Google Chrome, just doing, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's magical. And I realized that I could do that probably. Um, I'd love to learn that level. Um, I read voraciously. I absolutely love to read, but I realize I don't, I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of poetry, but I would love to actually read about more historical events in the past and and how Mm -hmm. we've kind of grown and reflected from that. And one of the ones I started with was SPQR. Um, Highly recommended. It's very well written. SPQR? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Very well done. I'm delighted at how um, easy and wonderful it is to read and how detailed it is and how it's lifting up so many things that I didn't know uh, about Rome. So that was very interesting. But I think I'll start with that. And next time we meet, I will be super well-versed on all sorts of things historical, making them in AR for you. I think. <laughs> oh, there we go. So you're applying two different uh, learning projects That's and right. creating a, a product out of it. That's right. <laughs> Solving my pain point of wanting to go into history back in time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Really solution oriented. <laughs> thank you, brother. So Mala, thank you very much for this conversation. And I hope to have many more with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Learnability Podcast, and we hope you're safe wherever you are in the world. As mentioned, please get in touch with any questions or thoughts. You can actually send me an email directly at innocent at learnability.online or visit learnability.online and you'll find the details there. Until next time, stay curious.